Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. It's a chock full gagging pod this week and we're not backing away from the big talking points. Former Premier League stars Mark Schwarzer and Thomas Sorensen and former Matilda Amy Duggan in depth on the issues facing Chelsea, the Manchester Derby and the North London Derby with all the Premier League action. We've got the latest Aussies abroad, the return of the WSL and plenty more. I'm your host Teo Pelizzeri and this is the Optus Sport Football Podcast. Let's get in to the gagging pod. It is a packed pod today. The Gagan Pod welcomes back Socceroos icon Mark Schwarzer after a very brief post-World Cup break. We only made you work about 40 days in a row, Schwarzy. We've also got former Denmark international and Premier League star Thomas Sorensen. And we lead off today by saying hello to former Matilda Amy Duggan. Amy, it's great to see you back on the Gagan Pod as well. Oh, I'm super excited too, Taya. Had a short break, but 2023 is a massive, massive year, especially for women's football, and I cannot wait to sink my teeth into it. Now, Mark, you spent plenty of time in Qatar, but where in the world uh, is Mark Schwarzer at the moment? Um, I'm up in the uh, uh, Austrian Alps. I'm uh, enjoying the uh, the winter, the snow, and um, contrary to, to a lot of reports around at the moment about lack of snow, we've got lots of it, which is brilliant. And Thomas Sorensen, you're in Australia, but uh, on our screens on Optus Sport over the weekend. And I guess it's a good time to lead off with some of the football topics as we go to you. What did catch your attention on a weekend where, unfortunately, we didn't have the Premier League on Saturday or Sunday? We got a little bit on Friday, but uh, we had a full weekend of FA Cup instead. Yeah, no, again, uh, you know, some of the big teams were in action and, um, you know, we will probably talk on it and we will uh, with Chelsea obviously getting hammered by Man City uh, and then the debacle with um, you know with uh, Liverpool and uh, VAR and everything else and they probably escaped uh, this weekend uh, with a with a replay so yeah there was plenty of action and uh, but yeah Premier League can't wait for that uh, to uh, to come back around again. Well, Tommy, you mentioned Chelsea there, but I tell you what, Graham Potter may not be so enthusiastic for his next fixture to come around because it was back-to-back losses against Manchester City, 1-0 in the league and then 4-0 in the cup. It always looked like a tough fixture list, but Thomas, how worried should Graham Potter be about how his project at Chelsea is going? Uh, I don't think he should be too worried in the short term. I think uh, Todd Bowley has shown... Plenty of backing. He's he's obviously given him uh, a, a lot of money, um, and and he's shown with uh, the Dodgers how how his approach is is always long term. He he tends to have a five year plan, and and surely that's also the reason and and why they identified Potter to uh, to to sort of rebuild the the team. So it's going to take time, um, which we know <laughs> in this day and age in, in modern football and. You don't really get, uh, but but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm at least hopeful now that, uh, and also with the signings, and it looks like now he's stepped down as well as sporting director. Uh, he's let other people in on, you know, Todd Bowley. He's, he's let other people deal with with that side of things. Um, so yeah, hopefully they can find an alignment with Potter as well, so they can get exactly what he wants and give him that support. Uh, but yeah, he needs results uh, for sure. 
quite quickly. Mark, it's, it's one win in eight. And given that you've been at Chelsea when it was perhaps at its most cutthroat and the results were at their most pressurised, does it look like a totally different club to the one that you came to know? Massively different. I don't think there's uh, any any Chelsea fan out there that will will say that it looks anything like it used to. Um, you know, we, we, we... I mean, there were criticism, obviously, of certain criticism anyway from Abramovich and the way the club was run and how ruthless they were, management, players. <laughs> um, but I, at least they had a system in place. They certainly had a recruitment um, arm in place. They they analysed. They they made a lot of decisions themselves via their their all their own their own uh, you know sports director. The recruitment side of things. That that a vision of what type of players they wanted at the club, and the manager had some say, of course. Um, and more often than not, if we see if we look over the last couple of years, um, when well probably the last 10, 10 or so years, certainly when uh, uh, Abramovich was in charge. The managers always had one or two players that they could bring in. They were clear that they were their players, and uh, but the rest of the signings were pretty much club uh, club signings. With with the way it's been done now, there's just no no vision. Yes, they're club signings, but there's there's absolutely seems to be no vision, no idea of how they want to play, and the type of players that would fit that system. And that's been the biggest worry, I think, from a lot of Chelsea fans. If you if you think about, it, I mean, they've spent two hundred and seventy million pounds since the the new ownership have taken over and they're in a worse position than they were before they uh, took over. Well, it is also the first time in 25 years they've failed to reach Mm. the fourth round of the FA Cup. Nothing that you um, can be proud of and certainly a big red flag hanging over the coach's head. And, and you you know, that's come from the fans too because they were chanting the name of his predecessor um, in the loss on Sunday to Manchester City. So, you know, the fans aren't happy. The club, as you said, Schwartzy, lacking a little bit of direction too. But they have spent big. Um, you know, Pep Guardiola also chimed in on this after the game and he said, like, give him time because there was glimpses of good in the second half. Uh, you know, the game was over at halftime, obviously. But um, and, and at Brighton, he was very good. I think the question is, is, is it about what's going on at the club or is this a step too far too soon um, for the coach? I don't know whether or not um, it does. It just doesn't seem like he he has the system in place. They, they don't have a system. It doesn't look like a Graham Potter side. It doesn't look like they were at Brighton in any way, shape, or form. And you can't tell me that they don't have the players to play it because they're far superior players. They're better players. They're players that can play in various positions. It just doesn't seem to. He doesn't seem to be getting his message across. He doesn't seem to be able to organize them well enough. I think they're a long way off. You know, if you talk about the comparison of when Pep Guardiola took over at Manchester City, everybody could see from day one exactly how he wanted to play. And and at times, people criticised Man City and Pep Guardiola because they overplayed and they got themselves into trouble. They conceded goals. Whereas at Chelsea, there the, there isn't any change. If anything, players looked they look actually like they don't know what the manager wants from them, how they want to play. Um, and that's the biggest worrying uh, part of, of this whole Chelsea thing and the whole Graham Potter um, scenario. And I think if getting rid of Thomas Tuchel under the way that they did so quickly, if Graham Potter had come in and hit the ground running and did really, really well, people wouldn't be calling for him. They wouldn't be saying anything about it. The fact is that Graham Potter has actually struggled and they've gone backwards. You know, we've we, we got to give him a bit with, with, this, with, with all injuries. Um, I, I think that plays a big part. I think part of Potter's system is... is you know, he plays with a three at the back and wing backs. And I, I think Reese James and Chilwell being being injured is, is massive. We, we saw that even on the two kill. Uh, I think they 
they are a big part of this uh, Chelsea team uh, and, and I think will fit exactly what Potter wants to do. And I don't think he has those. Cucurella hasn't been a success. I think he was a, a potential addition to, to, to those positions. Um, so, I, so I think we got to give him a little bit, uh, you know, with Aubameyang obviously out this weekend, Sterling was out, uh, Pulisic, Broja, you know, they, they, you know, we... we uh, we got to cut him a little bit of slack in, in that direction, but obviously, you know, at a big club with, with a squad like that, you you know, you can't really hide behind it though. So um, you know, he he needs to find a solution and probably give you know a bit more authority. I, I agree with you, Swartz. I think he he needs to to, to you know to to step up uh, to the mantle and 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 be a leader. With with that, when when you're saying about the time injuries and everything else, I, I totally get that, right? But there's still no system. There doesn't seem to be Grand Potter style of football being played. So even with the players that they have, they are good enough. There are good enough players. Yes, maybe they're not competing then in the top four right now, but they're a long, long way off it. They're struggling to even be mid-table the way that they're playing with the quality of players they still have at their disposal. The part of the biggest, one of the biggest problem is, I think, at, at Chelsea at the moment is as well, when Bolly took over, he got rid of a lot of the medical staff and he's brought his own people in. And that's one of the other big problems. There is seemingly a disarray um, at the way that the, the medical department is being run at this moment in time and they're struggling with their players, it's clear. I mean, look at the amount of injuries they've got. Um, that's a dangerous game to play when you make such big changes so quickly of people who know football, have been in and around football and been at the club for such a long time and have had a pretty good record in terms of injuries over the years. I think the question comes now, Schwartz, is like how long can he hold the dressing room for? Uh, how long can he keep the faith amongst the players and try and communicate if what you're saying is the message is not getting across, try and communicate and perhaps find a breakthrough because, you know, we're in signing season and, and of course, you know, Jao Felix is, is going across there if, if rumours are correct. But is it going to be enough to... You know, sometimes you can get a big player comes in or, or a young player comes in and it completely changes the way that things work within a club. But I just don't see this being the signing to help him do that. No, I, I agree. And the, the other issue about that is you look at the signing of Joel Felix. It's a loan deal, apparently, um, a £9 million loan deal, plus they're paying his wages, which is, I think, about £8 million between now and the end of the season, but no option to buy him. It, it doesn't make any sense, if, that, if that's correct. Obviously, we're just going on what's being reported right now. But if that's that, if that's the deal, that that's bizarre to me. Why would you give a player of that quality that that, that opportunity, a platform to, to discover form, and then not have an option to buy him if you you know you, you feel that you've done all the work, you found the right environment, and he's done well and he's delivering. Now all of a sudden, Atletico Madrid, his parent club, have the opportunity to 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 ask for whatever they like. It can only be about injury placement, not long term planning, right? Absolutely, it, <laughs> ca- it can't be anything else, and that's been the biggest problem I think with Chelsea is that at the moment there just seems to be a lack of planning um, and I mean now obviously I think it's Vivelle has come in Christopher Vivelle who used to be at uh, RB Leipzig he's taken over as now head of recruitment so look he, he knows the Leipzig system whether Bowley wants to try and I mean it looks like they've obviously heading down the line of, of signing a lot of talented younger players that's the that's kind of what Leipzig have been doing for a long long time now the Red Bull the whole Red Bull uh, brand uh, certainly with RB Leipzig and, and, and Sidesboard Leipzig uh, sorry, uh, Red Bull Salzburg. Um, so that's going to be now interesting to see how that plays out. And Chelsea, as as we all know, over the, the last 20 years, whatever it is, have won untold amounts of trophies, have competed at the highest level year after year. 
um, and fans have a, a certain level of expectation. And I think there's going to be a lot of more disgruntled fans for a lot longer before things turn around. So just to uh, elaborate on some points you made there, Mark, because you talked about the quality of players that they've got. Should it actually be um, assumed that it's possible that Graham Potter's philosophy can be applied to the very top level of the game, the same way that a lower league club wouldn't expect to bring in Zidane or Pep Guardiola and expect him to understand how to manage football and talents of that level, has Graham Potter actually hit his ceiling? It worked at Ostersunds, it worked at Swansea, it was working spectacularly at Brighton, but is this a case that Chelsea have tried to buy the Graham Potter method, but it's actually not applicable to this level of the game? No, I I don't agree. Um, Because I think as players, and and Amy and Thomas will have an opinion on this as well, is that when, when a manager comes in and he's coaching staff, if they're able to convey the messages well enough, the sessions are good enough, if if you can see clearly how he wants to play, players buy into it, certainly if you see success from it, right? The problem they've got is they don't... I mean, I'm not saying they haven't bought into it because I, I think they must have tried to buy into it. It's, it's whether or not Grandpa has tried to enforce his ideas right from the off or whether he's trying to do it gradually. Maybe he's looking at his injuries and going, right, I can't do the full hog because we haven't got the players to play that way. So now we've got to play a different version. Maybe be playing when they play four at the back, that doesn't suit Graham Potter at all. And, and maybe that's where he comes unstuck. I, I, I don't know. And I think players will buy into them. It doesn't matter what their name is, if they're good enough. If they show that they can deliver on the training field, they can, they've got good tactical sessions, if they've got good uh, knowledge of the game and the ability to convey their message, players buy into it. It doesn't matter who the manager is. Of course, there's elements of managing players. That's another element. And you've got to be able to manage players. And, and certainly when you get to a higher level and bigger names and bigger personalities, that becomes a little bit more difficult. Um, but generally speaking, I, I believe anyway, is if you've got a manager who knows his stuff and can coach and players can see it and they see it's working and you've got success, people buy into it. The problem at Chelsea is they're not having success. So do players stop buying into it? One quick whip around the panel. Chelsea are 10th. What's the lowest they can get to on the Premier League table before enough's enough? And it's Graham Potter, thanks and success, out the door. Give me a number. Does it? Can he finish 17th this year and keep his job? I'm going 15. Surely not. I'm going 15, Taylor. I think when you start to Ooh. enter, when a big, when a big side like mm. Chelsea starts to even look like they're fighting for relegation, I think they they have to get out. I'm too harsh, am I, Schwartzy? No, no, just the way that the club is run at the moment and lack of, seemingly from the outside a lack of direction, a lack of organisation. Maybe that'll all change very quickly now, January transfer. I, I, I doubt it, but I can't see things changing that quickly. And and the Joel Felix idea of bringing him in on loan and, and not having an option to buy already says to me, what 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 is that? That doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Um because he fits, he fits the. If, if you think about the the way that Leipzig have worked, RB Leipzig, um, you know, Salzburg, uh, Red Bull Salzburg, they bring in the highly talented young players, a certain age group, and Joel Felix fits that, right? He, he fits that brand where struggled to deliver at a top level, and maybe he can deliver elsewhere. But Chelsea are not RB Leipzig, and Chelsea are not a uh, you know that level. There, it's a club that competes for stuff. Um, so I. I, I look. I, I think he'll keep his job, and I, I I don't think he'll be any he'll he'll do anything anything soon. The uh, the owner, but unless unless the fans really start to 
to to show their voice and really start to get upset about it maybe but i i I think at the moment i think he's still fine and i don't i don't think it really matters as long as they don't get relegated of course i i think he'll still be there come the start of the season so long as they if they stay mid-table then then i think he'll still be there Let's talk about Manchester United now. Amy, as the resident Manchester United fan, we head into a vital weekend with the derby. United are sitting fourth. They can draw to within one point of City if they win. And if they win, (laughs) is the title race back on for Eric Ten Hag and Man U? Ah, you would have called me crazy to say yes when he first came on, wouldn't you? But, uh, you know, time tells a good story and I think Ten Hag is doing some good work there. I'm always going to say yes, they have it in them to win. Um, I don't know about winning the league, Teo, but I will always be a dreamer. Um, I'm not sure. Even though I know they're at home this weekend, City is in such good form. Uh, it's really hard for me to put my you know, fandom aside and look at this with a, an analytics head. I do think City will win it. Despite the results, by the way, the 189th episode of the Manchester Derby, United has won 77 of those. So we are out still with like a 20-game winning streak in front. Um But, you know, we saw them play earlier this year. The result was quite humiliating. Um, I think it was 6-3 last time they faced off. Uh, It was a pretty hard slap in the face, obviously, um, for anybody who follows um, Manchester United. But um, hopefully we'll have a new player signing finalised by Friday. Who knows? And um, maybe, just maybe, the crowd will draw us across the line for the win. And I, I think you could be optimistic, uh, Amy. I think there's there's so much great. I think there's so much great going on at, at Man United. You know, we've we've sat here on the gagging pot so many times and been very harsh, but I think the signing of Casemiro was a was a huge turning point. I think just that balance that he gives the team, you know, he even provides a goal scoring threat as well. Um, I think was huge. And he's just revitalized, uh, you know, certain players. Marcus Rashford, who was totally out in the dark last year, he looks, you know, better than ever. And, you know, the the rumors are that Vaud Vekost uh, might be, be coming. And, and I think he, he just gives something different. He, he's, you know, we saw what he did uh, against Argentina at the World Cup when he came on. And he, he, he's just a tenacious, uh, you know, physical player that, um, you know, just adds another dimension to, to what Man United can do. So I, I think you can be optimistic in... You know, and actually, I actually feel that they could win this game, even though City have been in good form and, and have won the last three derbies. I think this, uh, this might be the weekend where they turn it around, Man United. I'm with Thomas, actually, because I, 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 I fancy... <laughs> I hope you're right, You know, the, the derbies are always very, very different. I actually fancy United. I think United are in such a, a, a good place now these days. I mean, obviously, they're not the finished product. They're not back to being one of the best in the, in, 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 in the world at the moment. But... They're in a good way, and I agree. Casemiro, what a what a signing! I mean, what a player he is. Um, and I know people, you know, people went what seventy million or whatever it was for a thirty-one-year-old, crazy. But this guy is a machine and brilliant, brilliant player. Um, yeah, look, it just goes to show you what a difference it's made for United getting rid of uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. It just shows you how toxic the environment had become. Um, and whether that's entirely Ronaldo's fault or not or doing, who knows. But in terms of the way that the, the team are playing now, um, the way that the group seem to be um, um, together, close-knit, um, is all credit to you know Ten Hag, Man United for, for doing what they've done in the end and, and turning things around and turning things around very, very quickly. And they're a side that, like I said, I think this weekend they've got a chance, big chance. I, I, 
I did read an article this week on their analysis and how he's, uh, as he's come in, he's really changed the the way that they look at players, Schwartzy, and the type of players that they will bring into um, into the squad now. And and I think this goes back to Cristiano Ronaldo uh, kind of personality traits, I guess, because Ten Hag's now looking for players that are not only ticking all the boxes, you know, tactically, technically and physically, uh, but they have to have the right mental attitude to work under him. And that includes being able to cop criticism really squarely on the chin and just get on with it. Um, And I feel like some of the big personalities would have been holding that type of mentality back. Um, And that's where I think Casemiro fits in into this equation well as well. For me, that's a no-brainer though, isn't it? It's a no-brainer having players that obviously at a certain level quality players, but you've got to have the right type of attitude, the type the type of personality to fit within the group and within the club. And, you know, as, as a player at that level, you have to be able to take criticism. I, I know I know it's hard for a lot of these people these days that, that you know, players don't get criticised as often as, as, as much as, as one would, you know, probably used to in the past and probably not as brutal. And I agree that it shouldn't have been, you know, it shouldn't be like it used to be. I'm not one to say that our, the good old days. I, I, I still believe, though, you've got to be open for criticism. You've got to be able to take it on the chin. When you're not playing well, you've got to be told it. You've got to be said, told that, you know, maybe you're out of the team next week, the next player comes in. I, I liked what Ten Hag did the other day. Rashford turned up late to a meeting, so he dropped him. And, and he got benched. Exactly. And the thing about it was, more importantly for me, was that was a big decision, but it was the response for Rashford. So he took it on the chin and he got, came on the pitch and scored, scored the winner. So it, the players have bought into it. So no longer is there a division or seemingly a division, or it doesn't seem to be, where players are like, well, no, no, no I'm on his side. That, that shouldn't happen. You know, he, what, he, he overslept. That's one of those things that can happen. I, I think it's completely right. There's discipline. They've got to be strict rules. Paid the price, buddy. He rolled his sleeves up and went, right, if I come on, I'm going to make a difference and I'm going to prove to him what he's missing and me not playing. That's what it's about, isn't it? Proving proving yourself again because there's no complacency because he's not afraid to pull the trigger and bench you, um, be it for a bad performance or be it for discipline reaction. You know, I, I had a little insight into that uh, when they were here in preseason. I spoke to Tom Heaton uh, and I went to their hotel, and, and he said there was a huge change uh, in, in that respect uh, from from Solskjaer and what has gone on before. You know, Ten Hag was was you know heavily on on personality and on on the discipline side of it, and I agree, Swatch. I think Ronaldo was just that thorn in the side for for that long, but uh, but yeah, it it certainly seems to to to. You know, as a club as well, they've moved away from that commercial, you know, just signing players for shirt sales, and which I felt that they've done for years. Uh, and that that's the, you know, that's the way forward. We see with Arsenal as well that the way you build a team is is through, you know, personalities to, to you know what people actually deliver and and the buy-in that they have, uh, discipline, everything else. That that's how you win titles. It, it, it's not about big names and shirt sales. Just so this doesn't skew entirely <laughs> Manchester United's way, though. <laughs> Manchester City have to still play Southampton in the FA Cup on Thursday, in the League Cup, I should say, on Thursday morning. So they have a short turnaround, but obviously they've got a deep squad. Mark Schwartz, make the case for Manchester City. Amy did mention the fact it was 6-3 last time they played, so we know that Manchester City can score freely against United. As much as this pod seems to like the Red Devils, make the case for City. Oh, no, look, man, there's no doubting Just Manchester City. Just say the name Harland and we're all good. Yeah, look, look, there's no doubting Manchester City and the quality they have. And they're, they're, they're right up there with being one of the best teams in the world. There's no two words about it, in my opinion. Um, and they're better 
now than they were the previous season with with uh, Erling Haaland up front. But there's no doubt about that whatsoever. The, you know, they've, they've changed a little bit in the way that they play because Haaland is obviously more centrally sort of focused. Um, they don't have those three up front that are, that are rotating all the time, which is something that I thought they did incredibly well and teams struggled with it. Um, so players still need to find their way. I thought their first half against Chelsea was, was pretty poor in the league. Um, for, for Man City's standards and a, and a better Chelsea a better side that's in a better form and better confidence would have should have punished them they didn't but then Manchester City showed their quality in the start of that, that second half and the way that they should be playing and the way what we expected them to play on the front foot closing down aggressive I mean that's you know, a manager of top quality and Pep Guardiola making two big substitutions at halftime, changing the system, changing personnel, and it made the difference. And and that's the thing. Man City have got the quality. They've got the quality, strength and depth, and they haven't got the injury list that Chelsea have. <laughs> so, no, look, they're, they're a phenomenal side. And I, I'm just saying Man United as well because of it's the Derby. Man United are in a lot better place. And I just feel that Derby... they're at just, home. They're at home, exactly. So, but... <laughs> Look, it can go either way, and, and 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 I wouldn't also be surprised if City won the game comfortably because that's how good they are. There is one other massive, massive match on Optus Sport this weekend amongst all the Premier League, and that is the North London Derby. Harry Kane only needs one more goal to draw level with Jimmy Greaves as the all-time Spurs top scorer. But I wanted to ask about Arsenal, Amy, because we saw Mikel Arteta lose his temper in a big way against Newcastle both on the touchline and in his interviews and also the post-match press conference. And with this run of big games coming, is Arteta, as much as he's in the driver's seat, at risk of an Arsene Wenger-style meltdown? And as an Arsenal fan, I can't help but think back to the Birmingham City game, the 8-2 loss at Old Trafford. Wenger could not keep his emotions in check, and Arsenal blew leads a lot in uh, sort of the mid to latter part of his reign. Is Arteta heading for a similar fate? Can, can we first acknowledge what an amazing job he has done as such a young coach and, and the fact that they're sitting on top of the table? And then can we say the North London derby is going to be very scary for him, especially coming off um, that performance against Newcastle? Arteta's a very passionate man. We've known him to be a little cray-cray at times. He's done some weird and wacky things on the training pitch, but also you know within the squad. He, he's very passionate. He didn't even apologise. Um, which is the bit I struggle with a little bit, you know, to acknowledge the fact that he probably stepped outside the comfort box uh, when he was having a crack at, at the officials and, and losing his temper. E- even in the post-game press conference, he said, well, they were clearly penalties and so that's how it is and he, he thinks he's been robbed. Um <sighs> I, I think this game will be a really telling game for them. Uh, you know, Harry Kane, pff, outstanding uh, with a big with a big um, carrot, I guess, uh, a record to try and, and equal um, as Spurs' top scorer. But, you know, if it wasn't for Haaland, we would be talking about Harry Kane because he is in, you know, in that form and, and would be the league's top, you know, one of the league's top goal scorers as well. Um, I really hope we don't see a Wenger-style meltdown, Teo. I think he will put himself back in the box. Will he lose the passion? Absolutely not. He will absolutely be crazy if stuff happens and we will continue to see that type of behaviour. I just hope it's not so extreme. I think the big question for Arsenal right now, though, is how how do you score goals up front with the injuries that you have? Jesus is obviously injured now as well. And he has come out and even said, we only have one striker. Yeah, but, uh, I'd, you know, Amy, I think 
they're, they're, they're not relying on one striker. You, you're looking at Odegaard and, you know, he's scoring, you know, I think he's got seven goals. Uh, you know, Saka has got seven. You know, so I think they're just spreading it around. And, and you, you've got, uh, you know, a team playing, you know, really cohesive. I think the balance they've got this season is, is tremendous. I think, you know, Saka's truly stepped up in, in midfield. They look solid at the back. They've got a, a good goalkeeper. So so I quite, you know, I, I like that Arteta is showing a bit of passion as well on the sideline. I think it, it just shows that, you know, that Arsenal are, you know, there to be reckoned with. And, and I'm, you know, where in the past I've always, you know, had doubts about Arsenal. I, I, don't, I don't have that anymore. You know, their the consistency they're showing, I think it, it, it's tremendous. And, and I think they're going into this game, you know, you know, clear favourites. Uh, you know, we know Tottenham's going to sit back and I think Arsenal's got the players to open them up. So, so I, I can't see other than a, than a Tottenham, oh, sorry, Arsenal win. Can I just say one more thing about passion and, and coming from your coach? I get that there are coaches that, you know, sit there emotionless and are able to handle the, uh, are able to handle the pressure differently is a different type of personality to that. But I think also perhaps as a young player coming through, because he's very vocal on the sidelines uh, with instruction and, and almost like he's out there with the team, right? That team knows that he has their back no matter what. And that that's really important for culture too. I agree. And, and the thing is, he's a bit... I don't know, it's a bit like Mourinho was, you know, like the whole thing of blaming other people, putting excuses up and, and look, and, and being incredibly passionate and very, very vocal about it and saying things that are, that are often overstepping the mark, but it's more about trying to take a bit of a deflection, a bit of pressure off and attention away from the players. Look, Arsenal have lost one game all season in the league, which is phenomenal. Like, um, and, and, I, I, look, I think they've done incredibly well still since uh, Jesus has been injured. Uh, and Ketier, I think, has recently, certainly recently, been very, very good um, given the opportunity to play up front. It's like Tommy, Tommy was saying there, Martinelli, Saka, uh, Erdegaard, they're all players that can, can, can score and have scored throughout the season and, and take some of the weight away. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm fancying also Arsenal. They're certainly going into the game with a lot more, a better form. Tottenham have a lot of question marks over them. They've, they've been they've been pretty average of late. So yes, they've got one of the best players in, in 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 well certainly one of the best strikers in the world in Harry Kane. Son is a million miles away from from his from his best form. I think Brian Hill is not not that sort of level at the moment. You know, it's his first real opportunity. He hasn't started a lot of games for Spurs. So you know, he's he's obviously a huge talent, but it's not quite there yet. So look, I think Arsenal are in a really good place, and I think. Like you said, Amy, I think the players know what the manager's like. And I wouldn't be surprised the manager going in there going, look, I'm going to say all these things. I'm going to be like this on the sideline. But look, it's all about what we do and how we stick together. And, and, and look, we move on and we've dropped a point. That's it. We've dropped, you know, we've, we've dropped two points, really. Um, we, we've got to draw. That's it. So onwards and upwards. And when they, when they look at the way they've been playing and the, and the consistency they've shown throughout the season so far, uh, they've got no reason to doubt um, their their ability and their confidence in this game against uh, against Spurs. Let's move on to a very important subject, Thomas Sorensen. Um, I apologise to you in advance. I'm going to take us down memory <laughs> okay. lane to Saturday, the 21st of August, 2010. Lucas roughly shoved from the ball by Shawcross. This is Lennon. Where's he going with it? He's looking for Gareth Bale. Oh, what a strike! What an absolute beauty! 
one of the worst goals I've ever let in. <laughs> I hate to I hate to bring this up for you, but with Gareth Bale announcing his retirement, we have to go back to that wonder goal that he scored for Spurs against Stoke back in 2010. Before we get into the Gareth Bale career discussion and go through his achievements, I just want you to take us back to that day, Tommy. What are your recollections? Because watching it from the outside, it's an amazing goal. What was the experience like for you? Uh, you know, sometimes as a keeper, you just uh, you just stand and say, what just happened? Uh, I think I was as rooted. I don't think I ever moved. Uh, fantastic strike. And it was in those, those days where he wasn't playing as a winger. He was playing as a left back. Um, and uh, he had the knack of, of coming forward. It showed the early, early sort of, talent of of what he could be um you know his obviously his immense ability to to strike the ball the technique um you know there's so much in that strike that is just uh, on another level um and, and again you know I'm 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 happy to be part of that because uh you know I don't think even on my uh, best day ever I would have gotten near that so uh, I'll take that on, on the chin and and move on uh, and I'm glad. I'm glad I'm, I'm part of his uh, his career because he, he's had a tremendous career. Schwartz, you would have saved it though, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Schwartz. See, I thought to get you a might, dick in. You may have. You may have <laughs> no chance. Nah, no chance. See, I, I thought you would have brought up something that I maybe done. You know, like as well. You know, because I'm sure I've considered. I can't remember. I probably considered against him as, uh, from him as well. Um, yeah, look, he's he's a he's a phenomenal player, isn't he? Well, he was a phenomenal player. Um, one that uh, when he was playing, remember when he was at Spurs playing in those sort of uh, fullback, wingback roles. I mean, the pace that he showed uh, was insane, and uh, he was at times unplayable. Um, so, what what a, what a phenomenal player, and what a phenomenal player to have watched, to played against, and for Tommy to concede it against. Huh? You can say at least you conceded against Gareth Bale, one of his best goals he's ever scored. Yes. <laughs> Amy, where does Gareth Bale stack up in the players of the 2010s? Because this Messi-Ronaldo duopoly dominated the entire decade. And it was Gareth Bale underrated because unlike Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo, he wasn't omnipresent. He wasn't a self-marketer. He wasn't as much of a personal brand. And of course, he infamously perhaps didn't even need to like football that much. And the whole Wales Golf Real Madrid thing <laughs> kind of summed up his far more casual attitude as opposed to the consummate professionals that lived and breathed football 24 hours a day like uh, the other two. Yeah, well, he never won a Ballon d'Or, did he? So, uh, you know, that says a lot about the popularity contest that it is. Um, I don't even know where to start. I was um, having this conversation in my household, actually, even with my kids and my husband and my friends, and I was saying, like, five-time Champions League winner with Real, 41 goals for, uh, and 100 appearances for Wales. Let's just remember that's the massive... I'm not saying it's a bad country. I'm just saying it's a disadvantage, right, for them. Um, so just, just, a, just a drive-by, there. just a drive-by on Wales. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, you know, they made their first World Cup in 64 years, so he hasn't had the, the opportunity... And until this year to compete, uh, you know, at that elite level against or at an international level against all of um, those greats on the one stage. I, I'm sure that would have been disappointing, but still such a massive milestone. We've seen the amazing goals, including, you know, the one from halfway sticks out um, for me uh, and then the bicycle kick and, oh, God, there's so many to to think about. But, um, yeah, maybe it is about popularity. Maybe it's just that there's been so many wonderful players throughout this generation. Maybe it is about the laid back nature of golf I do have one big question that kept coming up and that was is he going to turn pro now in golf because his handicap's like two right um 
I guess he will be spending more time on the golf course, but I still think he'll go down as one of the best players of this generation. Just so, um, so talented that, and so quick too, like super quick. Maybe it caught up with him in his older age, but he was, he was so fast. Um, I think he'll go down not as only as one of the best players to come out of Wales, but out of uh, the UK across the world. And, and I really wish we'd, I'm actually sad that that he's chosen to retire because I still think there's a little bit more in him. Maybe not at the international level, okay, but but continue to play, continue to entertain me, please. I, I don't think he had the ability to do that anymore, that level. Um, I, I think he showed the latter parts of his career, injuries were, were such a big a big part of it. And I think, look, he's only 33 years old. It's not like he's retiring at a, at a at an older age, right? Um, so that's the surprising little bit. But I, I also think he's come down in level and his ability to get around the park. Certainly his pace, he'd lost a lot of pace, um, had changed a lot. But there's no doubting. I mean, look, he's one of the, the best players to come out of Britain. There's no doubt about it whatsoever. I mean, phenomenal player on his day. Um, and I think one of the criticisms from his time at Madrid was just the, the lack of inc- lacking of consistency. And I think the, the truly great players at that level were players that could deliver pretty much every week, whereas Gareth Bale, from my understanding, at Real Madrid was, was one that, that there was a, a sense of frustration of not being able to deliver the level of, of form that he shows and that he could do week in, week out. And then the questions were, was it more of a, uh, an attitude, mental thing of, of how he approached life and about football and more interested in playing golf and the lifestyle and, and, and just enjoying himself than, than, than the football? And I think that's probably the, the, the one side of things that, that kind of affected him a little bit. Um, but yeah, and, and then one of the questions would be as well, was he, like, is he one of the greatest ever players to come out of Britain? I mean, stats-wise, he's right up there, 100%. But mm. then talking about the consistency day in, day out, delivering week in, week out, certainly at uh, club level, uh, international football, it's pretty hard to disagree with his level because other than this last World Cup where I thought he was way below what we're used to from from Gareth Bale um, and his influence was, was, was uh, negligible, I think prior to that, his international career, he was phenomenal for Wales, but club level, week in, week out, um, and that's that's harsh when you look at the trophies he delivered. <laughs> so, but uh, if you if you compare it to say say a Gerrard or a Lampard or, or or a Giggs, week in week out, the level of performances they delivered were, in my opinion, far more uh, superior. As with Wayne Rooney. Yeah, I was sort of thinking. So, what player can you compare him to? And and the, the one that sprung to mind for me was was a Nicholas Anelka. You know, you know, won a lot of trophies as well. Uh, played at all the big clubs. Maybe, uh, you know, a, a slight tad uh, below Gareth Bale. But again, one that is not really recognised as as one of the best players. And again, lacked the consistency. You know, on his day was unbeatable at Arsenal. Uh, uh, you know, at PSG. You know, Real Madrid as well. Um, you know, even his time as Bolton. Um, you know, so um, you know. It, yeah, there's just that little bit of frustration with Gareth Bale from time to time, but we cannot argue with him stepping up. You know, he stepped up at at, at big time. You know, big time for Wales, big time in the Champions League finals. Um, you know, so it's not like he's been sitting on the bench just picking up trophies. He, he's, you know, he has delivered uh, despite the inconsistencies at times and, and the injury worries. He, you know, as I agree with Swartz here, I think he's definitely one of the best players to, to ever come out of uh, Great Britain. Now, on a sad note, uh, the world lost Jean-Luc Vialli last week. 
Um, there's been a major outpouring of emotion and so many tributes uh, for the Italian great, of course. Uh, a revelation in the Premier League, both as a player and as a manager at Chelsea. Mark Schwartz, uh, what did John Luca Vialli mean to you? Um, well, icon, wasn't he? An absolute icon. Um, that era at Chelsea of the real change, I thought, of these real global superstars coming to the club, changing the way that the club played, and turn Chelsea into a, a team that was, I think, certainly one that was looking to try and win major trophies and did win FA Cups and, and so on. Um, I thought, you know, he was a phenomenal player and um, one that, if you look at players that came through, certainly JT, John Terry, um, credits him with a lot, um, giving him his first opportunity to play for Chelsea in the senior team. Um, Carlo Cudicini was in and around the squad at the time as well. So there were a lot of players there that he brought through that he that he that Viali had a big influence on. And apparently, you know, he was a, he was a real real gentleman. And I, I was fortunate enough to play against him on, on a number of occasions. Um, yeah, phenomenal player. Yeah, I, I think for me this this. Uh you know, Viali passing away uh, hits home, uh, uh, you know, because actually at the same Euros, my former goalkeeping coach um, was with Denmark uh, with the same disease, uh, pancreatic cancer. He died a year ago. Um, so I always thought it was going to be up against it for Viali. So, you know, for those two to, to pass away from the same uh, and actually being at the same Euros, uh, helping their teams far into the tournament, obviously Viali, winning it with Italy it's it's uh it's a bit emotional because it brings uh, out a lot of things uh you know from my time as well um so yeah sad to see such a, a great uh you know leave our shores well rest in peace Jean-Luca Vialli stay with us on the Gegen Pod. we'll be back after this short break tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back to the Gagan Pod. It is a full house today with Thomas Sorensen, Mark Schwarzer and Amy Duggan. Let's quickly go through some Aussies overseas news uh, and how it relates to the transfer window. Because, Thomas, Matty Ryan, we were excited when he went to Copenhagen because we had you as our Dane, as our insider. But, gee, it didn't last long and he's now gone to AZ Alkmaar after a very hostile and ill-tempered spell. What do you make of his fleeing the Danish capital? Oh, um, you know, I, you know, they, he obviously had a bit of a uh, a sidekick there in Grabara at uh, FC Copenhagen, who didn't treat him very nicely. Um, you know, and uh, no, no, no wonder he wants to get out of there. I thought he was, you know, the, he played really well uh, and was dropped straight away when Grabara came back. Uh, so, you know, great to see him at A. Said Alkmaar. You know, they're fifth um, at a team that's. You know, has showed a lot of consistency. Um, you know, not so great in Europe this year, but uh, you know, he'll be playing week in and week out in a good league. And um, you know, that I think only bodes well. He needs to play, and he's had a couple of years now where it's been very inconsistent. He showed at the World Cup he's he's still a, a top top class keeper. So uh, I think it's a good move for him. Uh, and and again, it could be a stepping stone to to something bigger as well going forward. 
I think for Matty, was obviously imperative. He, he knew himself. You know, he had enough of sitting on the bench. He'd been, he'd done it quite a bit of late, <clears throat> the last couple of seasons, whether it was at Sociedad, then at Arsenal, and of course at Copenhagen, at a time when I, I agree he played very well and and didn't deserve to to be on the bench. And unfortunately, it coincided with Grubber coming back and the manager being sacked and the assistant taking over and and mm. and and Matty finding himself on the outer. Um, I, I messaged him actually today and he said to me it was already from the short period of time that he's been at RZ, he's already feeling, you know, very appreciated and very loved and, and, and he feels very confident. So, and that that's, as players, when you're not playing, when you're going through difficult periods of time, that's all you're looking for. You're looking for somebody, a club, a manager, that's going to believe in you and, and put their trust in you. And it seems like Matty is in a place where, where he's got that right now and he's feeling that right now. And I think that's the best thing, the best place you can be in. And, uh, you know, hopefully now this gives him an opportunity to get a proper run of games and to show what he can do. Well, that's what it's about, isn't it? It's about minutes, ultimately, Schwartzy. The environment's super important, and I definitely wouldn't want to be in a workplace where, you know, the guy that I'm supposed to be training with every day is giving me shit, not just um, not just on the training pitch, but publicly, you know, um, degrading him. I think that was way out of line, and, uh, you know, I can only, you know, they're tough, they're mentally tough, I get it, but it's not how you build a great environment, and you don't want to be in an environment like that. You also want to be playing minutes, and that's what this is about, getting the chance to, as you said, feel valued, uh, be in a great environment, hopefully help a team climb up the ladder and, and get as many minutes as he can because at the end of the day, that's what that's what we do as footballers. We want to play. We want to be on the pitch. Speaking of which, Garen Quoll. Uh, looks as though he's going to be loaned to Heart of Midlothian in the Scottish Premier League. Amy Duggan, we've been eagerly anticipating where Newcastle were going to loan Garen Quoll to from the moment they signed him. Do you like this move for Garen? I do. I do like this move if he, if he goes to Scotland. And I think um, there's a couple of reasons for that. Firstly, there's plenty of Aussies there, so he won't feel all alone. <laughs> and that's a huge thing, I think, when you're a young kid and you're moving overseas. Um, we've seen that the quality difference still exists between the Scottish League and the Premier League. And I think it's a great stepping stone also between the A-League here in Australia and England. Um, close enough to both, but not too big a leap for him. And I think that's that's important. I think it's important for him to get lots of minutes and score goals. Um, and this will provide him the opportunity to do that, uh, hopefully in a relatively comfortable environment. But the big the big thing that um, I want to put out to the universe is that he doesn't lose his unpredictability or creativity wherever he goes. Um, I just don't want that to be coached out of him. I, I agree, Amy. I think it's, it's a great spot for him uh, to land. You know, it, it's that stepping stone. I think it's the important thing. You know, you got to, you know, we, we can't just get carried away and, and, you know, he needs to play for Newcastle. And, and you know, we need to be realistic about it. He's still a young player. He's still a bit inconsistent at, at times, uh, and I think it's a great environment. Also, to to get used to, you know, the cold and the you know the bad pitches, and and it'll it'll strengthen him mentally as well, you know. So I, I don't think it's it's a bad thing. I think it'll, it'll stand him in good stead if he is good enough to then go back to to Newcastle eventually and 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 uh, be in and around their their first team squad. So uh, you know, again, very positive move, I think. Isn't it interesting, you know, when, you, when you've got a club that, you know, probably hasn't had a few Aussies in it for, for a while and all of a sudden you get a couple, Cammy Devlin, obviously he's done really, really well there, Kai Rolls, Nathaniel Atkinson, and all of a sudden there's another Aussie, you know, they're looking for that quality of that type of player. And and I agree, Amy, you know, uh, for Grang, don't lose that 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 sort of that rough edge, that, that unpredictability, that 
that's uh, something that you know something that X factor that you can't necessarily coach. And I, I don't think he will because he's got a swagger about him. You know, the first time I met him was at the World <laughs> Cup. He's he's got this real swagger about, it, but it, not in a bad way at all. And I say it in a really nice way. And it's it's really nice to see and it's exciting to look at and to talk to him. I, I, I got, had a chance to talk to him, Tommy Dang, and um, and uh, it was it was really really nice to have a chat to him and and, and meet him for the first time. And um, excited, I'm excited for him. Big big challenge, big step up. Um, and uh, I'm sure he'll uh, he'll do well. Schwartzer, just a quick follow-up, though. I mean, you lived the experience of having to, you know, stick up for yourself in a foreign environment out on your own. Garen Qual goes into an environment where, as you mentioned, there's a core of Aussies, there's a bit of a peer support network, and clubs are also far better educated mm. on to how to protect their investments when they sign players from overseas, especially ones from basically outside of Europe or outside of a established production line like South America. Does it warm your heart to know that all of those supports are in place for Garen Qual? Or would, does it also make you perhaps resent how hard you had to do it when you were doing it yourself? No, I don't resent how it was for me because that's just the way it was. Like, it's just, it is what it is. And I think it also shaped me. It also um, made me into the person that I am today and, and certainly, the, the you know, throughout my career because of, the adversity, the, the challenges that you came across, um, the rolling the sleeves up, you know, determined to prove people wrong continuously, and that's what I did. Maybe if other people around me that I knew and were comfortable with, maybe it wouldn't have been uh, the same for me. You know, maybe it would have been more difficult in in some ways because I just would have relied on other people so much. Whereas when you're there by yourself, I had to. That was it. It was me, and I had to dig deep and try and find a way through. Right, um, but. I also, I, I like the idea, just because we went through it, of my generation, doesn't mean this generation needs to. And if we can make it better, if it can be improved upon and can allow these players to focus just on playing football, everything else is right and, and, and the environment is, is in, the, in, the, in, the right, in the right way, then it gives them a better opportunity to succeed. So it helps everyone, right? So I'm all for it. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that, that football has evolved and it has created a better environment because back in the day, it was just me and, and my wife and that was it. And we were on our own. Let's stay on the theme of Australian players, but flip it over to women's football because Amy Duggan, um, even if it hasn't been formally announced, it's the worst kept secret that Australia will be playing Spain, Jamaica and Czechia in their February international window in a bit of a simulation of the group stage. What do you make of the year ahead in women's football? Because the calendar's flipped over. Australia's going to be the centre of attention of the world. And uh, in, what, five weeks' time, we're going to have uh, everyone talking about the countdown to the World Cup because of this little mini tournament that we're going to have going on. And it's not the only one that's happening in this international window right around the world. Teams are, are playing at each other. I don't know how I'm supposed to concentrate on La Liga and Premier League when when this is coming and there is so much football to be jam-packed into the first half of this year I, as an entree, I guess, to you know the biggest, single biggest sporting event, um, certainly in the Southern Hemisphere, to happen here in Australia, the biggest event we'll ever see uh, or have ever seen at the moment, uh, certainly since the Olympics. I, I'm so excited for what's to come. Um, I am not letting the cat out of the bag on who we're playing. Tao, I'll leave that all up to you. But what I'm I am, saying I am. They're running three, around. You know, our four-legged friends. Yes, they're they're out of the bag. Okay. <laughs> 
Um, it's a relatively tight time frame to play three very different style teams as well. Uh, a near full strength squad will hopefully be available. Um, but I think what's most important here is that we get results, but also that we see progression. We've been seeing, you know, we saw it inklings of it sprinkled and then it started to get more consistent and we had some great games at the end of 2022. So super important and not long now. And I am just, I'm worried about being so tired by the middle of the year before the World Cup starts because there's so much happening. So, uh, well, Mark, I wanted to ask you about applying sort of the the Men's World Cup lens onto the Matildas because the Men's World Cup was a really cutthroat selection process with so many players guessing. We talked about it every episode on the Pod. who's in form, who's going to win their spot. So my question to you is, are the Matildas ruthless enough to have a Trent Sainsbury or an Adam Taggart or a Tom Rogic situation? Or are there just a few too many players that are a little bit comfortable and are already making plans for the World Cup? I don't think any player is necessarily comfortable because there's so many things that can happen between now and the World Cup. I mean, injuries being the first one. Secondly, you just never know with managers. Sometimes managers make decisions and more often than not, you see, certainly with the men's side, you see a bolter. You see things happen and, and we've seen it time and time again um, with the Socceroos. With the Matildas now, obviously, there are more players coming through. Um and Gustafsson has given more opportunity to, to more of the fringe players. Um, and I think that in itself will potentially keep more of the players on their toes and knowing that, look, I need to be in form, I need to be fit, I need to be ready, I can't go into the tournament having not played any games. And I think that is the best scenario to be in because you want all your players to be on their toes and trying to play their best form um, of their career. Well, okay, you say that. I mean, we're going to get into the WSL chatter after we're finished with the Matildas, but um, Emily Gilnick hasn't clocked 90 minutes for her club this WSL season. Mary Fowler has 92 minutes total. Alana Kennedy hasn't played a club game since May. So there are quite a few players that aren't playing at the moment. But they've got time, right? So they've still got time between now and the beginning of the World Cup. So... The, these are the times where you'd be looking, you'd be talking, you'd be... Ho- I mean, I would think the manager would be in contact or at least his staff would be in contact with the girls, talking to them about their lack of playing time, their position, their, 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 their physical conditions, what they need to do to put themselves in contention to be selected for the World Cup. And, and that's, that's what management is about, right? That's, that's how they, they operate. And then it's up to the girls then to make a decision on what they do whether they stay, whether they look to go out on loan somewhere, whether they look to move. It's it's big decision time coming up for a lot of these players. Tommy, I wanted to ask you as someone who's maybe a bit more impartial uh, <laughs> in terms of not being a former Australian international, um, are you surprised at the ideological differences between Graham Arnold and Tony Gustafsson? Gustafsson very much thinking inside the square, whereas Arnie was bold enough to go with a Jason Cummings or a Garang Qual to drop Trent Sainsbury, even though he's his son-in-law. I mean, does it surprise you that uh, it's the same nation, but the philosophies are so different? You know, it, it's also, a, if, you know, it's, if, you know, every coach is, is different and, and you, you have to look at what players you have, um, you know, and that, you know, good coaches then live out the philosophy through it and they tweak things. You know, Graham Arnold, I think, you know, going to the World Cup knew that, you know, he would have to be, you know, obviously a bit bold in certain decisions and he would have to play a certain way. I think Gustafsson is in a, you know, he's got one of the, on paper, top four, top five teams in the world if he's got everyone fit. And that leaves you totally different, in a totally different situation. 
Uh, and I think that's what we see play out. Uh, he can be a little bit more conservative in, in the way he picks players. Uh, so, yeah, no, I'm not surprised. And I don't think it has anything to do with nationalities. In, 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 in fact, I think it's more about you know, where the teams are actually positioned. Let's talk WSL because that returns to Optus Sport this weekend after the winter break. Amy Duggan, uh, I'll give you free reign, but uh, if, if we're in the business... I will of, talk forever, of, watch out. <laughs> well, but I, I just wanted to lead off with saying that uh, if, we're in, if we're in the business of breaking news that hasn't really broken, again, the next worst kept secret is that Remy Seamson is joining Leicester City. Uh, so we will have another Australian in the WSL on Optus Sport. However, they have zero points and they're battling relegation. At the other end of the table, Chelsea are three clear of Arsenal. Amy, the floor's yours. What do you want to talk about in the WSL? Everything and anything, but I will start with Remy just because you brought her up. I think this is a great move uh, for her to experience the WSL. Of course, she's been back home playing W League with Sydney um, uh, or A-League women's with Sydney, but after spending last season in Sweden, so... Uh, don't forget you can catch all those WSL games on Optus Sport. I'll be in trouble if I don't say that. I, I think it's really important. Remy's one of those players that sits, you know, on the echelon of, of um, getting more minutes on the park for the Matildas and she needs to be playing in top leagues. Um, I think this would be awesome for her to be in a good training environment and that playing environment against the top players from across the world. As for Leicester and where they sit, yes, they've only hit the net twice this season. They sit 12th. They're in big trouble. But Remy's a goal scorer and Leicester needs goals badly. So maybe this is a match made in heaven. We will have to wait and see. The other massive um, talking point I want to touch on is, you know, you said the league returns Saturday the 14th. It's been off for a month. Many of these players have been... um, taking the opportunity to head to head you know travel throughout Europe but a lot of our Aussie girls have actually been home for a break which I think is really good except Chelsea faces Arsenal straight up off the break so we'll be seeing who's been training while they've been home 35,000 tickets have already been sold for that match so we're on track for another record there uh, I think the Gunners are the ones with the thinking to do here because obviously they've lost Viv Meadamar and Beth Mead um uh, but they do have Kate Ford, who I think was in exceptional form at the end of 2022. So I hope that that continues. Uh, Chelsea's only three points clear of Arsenal, who still have a game in hand. But uh, I think that'll be the match to really watch. And my Manchester United women's side is five points off the top. So not too far away. There, there's so much women's football happening. Amy, um, got a question for you. Can Arsenal challenge Chelsea with Minamar and Beth Mead out now? Because they're obviously huge for them, right? I mean, Minamar's record is unbelievable. It, it is, but I think um, I, I think it'll give the opportunity for Kate Ford to step up a little bit. They have Stina Blackstenius as well. Uh, she's a great goal scorer. They've got Kim Little, who usually sits deeper in the midfield. You can push her forward into the midfield if you need to. They've just signed uh, Victoria Pevlov, the, the Dutch midfielder, um, but I'm not sure if she's ready to play yet I think there are options there for their coach um I think it will I, I think it'll really depend on Chelsea to be honest if their goal scoring you know Guru Wrighton's got the top level of assists um in the league and and obviously we've got our own Sammy Kerr up front and I think if if their combinations are firing Chelsea's really hard to beat um but you know Steph Catley's at the back too so who knows maybe she'll maybe you know her time with Sam it's it's time for Steph to step up and stop Sammy scoring goals we'll, we'll just have to wait and see I think they have a challenge on their hand, but I think they can throw everything at it, Swartzie, and get the job done. Now, one player that won't be playing for Chelsea is Beth England because Chelsea sold her to Tottenham 
for £250,000. And Amy, this was a domestic record transfer. We saw Barcelona bought Kira Walsh from Manchester City for the world record, 450000 My question to you is, how long until we get a $1 million transfer fee for a women's player? Because we're not quite halfway there yet. We're almost at half a million. But I feel as though the dominoes are going to fall quite quickly on this. And before we know it, we are going to see the first million euro or million pound player. And who will that be? That's the question, Teo. And I guess that depends on how long it takes. Um the sooner the better for me. Uh, it's you know it, it's such an interesting situation. I still think it's peanuts compared to the men, but that that's the situation that we're in, and I hope that that continues. As you said, the dominoes continue to fall and the dollars just continue to evolve because it was a dream of my generation and those that came before us that we could even be professional footballers, even if we didn't get paid. And and now the girls are you know there is an actual career path there. You can talk to a a young uh, a young aspiring footballer of you know ten eleven. And 12 and they want to be footballers and mum doesn't get to say well darling you know that's a lovely dream but you need to do something else because it is actually a viable option now um I don't know when it'll happen and how big it'll be Teo but it's something that really excites me if we can get back to Beth England for a second to Spurs she needed more game time you know I know side won the Euros. I have no doubt England will be serious contenders for the World Cup. But Serena Vagman's also said it's a clean slate for her players. Uh, Ellen White's now retired. So as a striker, it's kind of the perfect time to pounce. She was sitting, you know, on the bench uh, behind players like Sam Kerr. So she really needed the game time. So for me, Beth's move is a no-brainer. Well, the WSL is back this weekend with all six games live and exclusive on Optus Sport. Amy Duggan, I know you'll be watching, so enjoy the action and thank you for joining us once again on the Gagan Pod. Thanks for having me. Mark Schwarzer, a pleasure to see you again. And uh, in a couple of weeks, I'm sure you'll be back. But uh, enjoy a couple of pods off in the meantime. I certainly will, mate. And Thomas Sorensen... Thank you again for your company. We'll speak to you soon. Yeah, see you soon, Sarah. Yes, a big thanks to Thomas Sorensen, Mark Schwarzer and Amy Duggan for joining us today. The Premier League goes into a massive weekend on Optus Sport with Friday's clash between Fulham and Chelsea from 7am Australian Eastern Daylight Time. There's Saturday morning action with Aston Villa hosting Leeds United from 7am Australian Eastern Daylight Time. And then on Sunday night, the Manchester Derby kicks off at 11.30pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time. Liverpool play in goal rush from 2pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Sunday. And the next night, the action includes Arsenal's trip to Tottenham for the North London Derby from 3.30am Monday morning. La Liga is back on Saturday morning with Celta Vigo against Villarreal from 7am Australian Eastern Daylight Time as the first of eight live games through the weekend into next week, all the way until Cadiz versus Elche at 7am Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Tuesday. And the WSL is back from its winter break and packed with Matilda's stars. Action resumes at 11.30pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Saturday with Aston Villa against Tottenham. Then don't miss the blockbuster between Arsenal and Chelsea, which kicks off at 11pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Sunday. All six games this weekend, live and exclusive on Optus Sport. Wherever you get your podcasts, make sure to rate us five stars and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I've been your host, Teo Pelizzeri. Thanks for joining us on the Optus Sport Football Podcast. This was The Gegen Pod.
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.